0: I used to think, you know, you grow old enough in the Lord, you learn enough, if you follow after him closely, you sort of become like this uh sort of Christian Jedi Knight, you know? <laughs> you can handle anything that comes your way, you know? You remember, you know, watching Quaggan Jinn and some of those other, you know, Jedi Knights, how they just... You know, they didn't worry. They didn't stress out. They didn't, nothing bothered them. They just, they just went through it. They just handled it. And I used to think, that's how it's supposed to be if you're a Christian, following the Lord. Um, You old timers, how's that working out? <laughs> yeah, you know, me too. Yeah. So, you know, when you look at Ezekiel, chapter 14, verse 12, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, suppose the land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its supply of bread, to send famine through it, and to wipe out both man and animal from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could only rescue themselves by their righteousness. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Now look, Ezekiel was a contemporary of Daniel. And Daniel was such a godly, holy man that even in his lifetime he was ranked up there with Job and with Noah. And the thing we see when we look at the book of Daniel, in general, but in Chapter Nine, in particular, is we see that for as godly a man as he was, as holy a man as he was, he had not arrived. As as great a man as he is, he did not get to the point where where he did not need to pray, where he did not need to fast, where he did not where he did not sin. So let's take a look at chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord of the prophet Jeremiah that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. So I turn my attention to the Lord God To seek him by prayer and petitions With fasting sackcloth and ashes And I pray to the Lord my God And confess Our Lord the great and awe-inspiring God Who keeps his gracious covenant With those who love him And keep his commands We have sinned, done wrongly Acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants of prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, and fathers, and all the people in the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all Jerusalem, and all Israel. Those who are near and those who are far in all countries where you have banished them because of their of disloyalty, they have been shown that they have shown toward you. Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, and we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions. That he sent before, before us through his prophet, the servants of prophets. And all Israel has broken your law and turned away refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. He has carried out his words that he spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that is so great that nothing like this has ever been done to Israel. to to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. And just as is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. So the Lord kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all that he has done. But we... Have not obeyed him. Now Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned, as it is this day, we have sinned. We have acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, for, for because of our sins and the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people, have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations that the city bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen in act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would be with each person here, and I pray that, Lord, each one would draw closer to you. Each one would strive to be the person that you would have them to be. Help them, Lord, to love what you love. Help them to hate what you hate. Help them, Lord, to follow after you with their whole hearts. And help each of us, Lord, to fulfill your will in our lives. Lord, guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the things we see in this section of scripture is it's the first year of Darius Mead. He, by the way, Daniel, at this point, is about 85 years of age. He's no kid. He's been following the Lord from the time he was a youth. And once again, folks, he has not arrived. It's not all... It's not all something that he just takes for granted. One of the things he says here is, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of the the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. So he's 85 years old, and you know what he's doing? He's reading the word of God. And this is probably not the first time he's read Jeremiah. He's probably read Jeremiah and the other prophets and the law. He's probably read them over and over again. But this time, he's reading it, and it dawns on him as he's reading it that they are supposed to be in Babylon for 70 years. Well, you know, if you take into account that they were taken into captivity about 609, and he was 15, 13 to 15 years old when that happened, if you add 70 years to that, then that brings you to about 539, and he's about 85 years old. And he's thinking, wait, wait a minute. This is coming to an end. What does this mean? And he begins to pray. See, because, you know, no matter how long you've been with the Lord, no matter how many times you've read his word, he's still got something to say to you. He's still got something new for you. He's still got something he wants you to see, something he wants you to hear, something he wants you to do. And so in verse 3 he says, So I turn my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now you know, Daniel has seen a lot. He's been protected from the mouth of lions. He's had his friends thrown in the fire and they come out of it, you know, without us, without any kind of blemish. You know, he's, he's had all kind of visions. He's done all sorts of stuff. And here's what he doesn't expect. He doesn't expect that this, you know, God's just going to speak to him directly. What he expects is, that he has to do his part. And what is that? That he spends time in prayer. You know, one of the things that I have been convicted of myself lately is my lack of prayer. Martin Luther said that he used to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning because he needed to pray for four hours so that he could do all the stuff that he had to do over the course of his day. Four o'clock in the morning, man, that killed me. <laughs> but I suspect that Martin Luther had the right perspective on things. And if you are to do everything that the Lord wants you to do, you need to be sensitive to his leading, sensitive to his will, sensitive to his word, and you get that by spending time alone with him in prayer. So here are some things about his prayer I think that we should take note of, okay? Number one, he begins with adoration. In verse 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Oh Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps His gracious covenant with those who love Him and keep His commands. We worship a great God. We worship a patient God. I mean, let's face it, if you or I were God, what would he be doing to people? Oh, well, that Matt Cropley. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with him. But he is patient. And he is loving. And he is kind. And he's He is forgiving. He goes on from this adoration to to confession of sin. And here's the thing, okay? Daniel doesn't talk about, you know, sin in a theoretical sort of sense. He doesn't talk about, you know, our fathers did this. What does he say? He uses the terms we. He uses the term I, no, he realizes that he is still a sinner. He is still in need of being made righteous through Christ. Folks, he has not arrived. And so, from verse 5, all the way... Through verse 15, he's confessing the sins of the people. And as he's going about confessing their sins, he's talking about the fact that all of Israel, they broke God's laws, and God's been patient, God's been loving, God's been everything, and they have been unfaithful. Yeah, look. As as I read this, this section in particular, I cannot help but think about our own country. This country was was formed with a Judeo-Christian worldview. The Bible used to be the book in this country. And now we live in a world that is becoming more and more hostile to the things of God. You know, Leonard Ravenhill said years ago that, he said, some people are saying that the church is suffering for the sins of America. But the truth of the matter is, America is suffering for the sins of the church. You know, let's face it. Too many Christians today don't live any differently than the people of the world. I saw a statistic just recently that for every 60 church people, one person gets saved. It wasn't that long ago when it was 20. And that was way too high. We're not evangelistic enough. And maybe we're not evangelistic enough because... Well, we don't have our hearts and minds set in the right things. We're not focused on the things of God. We don't live any differently than the rest of the world. So, starting with verse 16. Verse 17, I'm sorry. He says, Therefore, O God, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. We serve a compassionate God, folks. We should never forget that. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act, my God, for your own sake. Do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. See, They've been in captivity for 70 years because of their sinful behavior. And now, that's come to an end. Now, what's next? Verse 20. While I was speaking. Praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my petition before the Lord my God concerning the holy mountain of my God. While I was praying, Gabriel, the man I'd seen in the first vision, reached me in extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me this explanation. Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. And as the beginning of your petitions... As at the beginning of your petitions an answer went out and I have come to give it for you are treasured by God so consider the message and understand the vision now you know something when you are praying if you belong to him he's answering your prayer even though you may not realize it he's at work folks folks One of the things that we have to do is that we have to trust Him. And we, you know, the thing is, we want everything on our time. We've got a plan for how we think that things should work out. But if we are trusting Him, we will wait on His timetable. We will get with his plan. Something else here. He was saying, while he was praying, Gabriel, the man that I'd seen in the first vision. Now, obviously, Gabriel is an angel. His name, Gabriel, means the mighty one of God. No. God could have just sent you know any angel, but he didn't. He sends this mighty one of God to come speak to Daniel. And here's one of the things he says: He says, "I've come to give you understanding." Yeah, understanding can be a valuable thing. And he says. Verse 23, at the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I've come to give it, for you are treasured by God. Folks, if you are a child of God, you are treasured by him today. The question is, are you his child? You know, a lot of the lost people, they'll say, well, you know, we're all the children of God. No. A lot of people are just creations of God. But you need the Spirit of God to be His child. You need Jesus Christ to be His child. So, one of the things that he says, verse 23, so consider the message and understand the vision. And here's the vision. You know, our Pastor Bill says, this is one of the most complicated sections of scripture. You know, and he's right. And one of these days I'm going to pay him back for this. 70 weeks are creed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end to put a stop to sin to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place well that's six things let's, let's look at these more in detail okay first thing is, he says about this vision, it is decreed about your people. Now class, who are Daniel's people? Israel! Look. There are some people who want to try to allegorize this and they want to try to say, well, you know, this means, uh, you know, really everybody who's a Christian. Well, not exactly, because he's not talking about the children of Abraham. He's talking about Daniel's people in particular. Not only about your people, but about your holy city. And you know, we've been, been to Israel, been to Jerusalem, interesting place. But I couldn't claim it as my city. No more than you could as well. So he's talking very specifically to Daniel, to his people, that this prophecy is about you, the Israelites. And he goes on and he says that the purpose of this is to do six things. Number one, to finish the transgression. Number two, to put an end to sin. Number three, atone for iniquity. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Number five, to seal vision and prophecy. And six, to anoint the most holy place. Well, let's look at number one, the transgression. Now, what he's talking about is mankind's transgression against God, man's rebellion to God and to his authority. So that's the first thing that he's going to be dealing with. The second thing is sin. And this, folks, to put an end to sin, this happens when Christ returns. When Christ returns, he's going to establish his kingdom. And let me tell you, it's not that sin is going to be completely wiped out during that period, but it's, it's going to be mostly taken care of. And when we get on into eternity, there's not going to be any more sin then. Number three, to atone for iniquity. Folks, this was was handled at the cross. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. This happens when God's millennial kingdom comes in. Number five, to seal vision and prophecy. Now look, when the millennial kingdom comes in, Jesus Christ is going to be there. So what need is there going to be for visions of prophecies since he'll be there to speak to us directly? Number six, to anoint the most holy place. When you look at Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, you see the city of Jerusalem and you see this temple. The temple that's promised during the millennial kingdom. So basically, you've got these 70, and it says sevens. There's no unit specified. Okay, He could mean 70 months. No, he doesn't mean that. He could mean 70 weeks. Clearly not that. Obviously, what he's getting at is 70 weeks of years. And he's got these 70 weeks of years broken down into three groups. The first is seven weeks. The second group is 62 weeks, or 439 years. And... The third is one week, which is seven years. So seven weeks, 49 years, 62 weeks, 434 years, and one week, seven years. Altogether, that's 490 years. Now, you might be wondering, why 40 weeks of years? Well, it ties into something that we saw earlier beginning in chapter 9 verse 1 verse 2 he's talking about something that he reads in Daniel I mean in in Jeremiah so if you will turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 25 let's go to verse 8 Therefore, this is what the Lord of armies says. Because you've not obeyed my words, I'm going to send for all the families of the north. This is the Lord's declaration. And send for my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and I will bring them against this land and against its residents and against all these surrounding nations, and I will completely destroy them and make them an example of horror and scorn and ruins forever. And I will eliminate the sound of joy and gladness from them, and the the voice of the groom and the bride, the, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. The whole land will become a desolate ruin, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. So this is what Daniel was initially referring to. But once again, the question is, Why seventy years? Well, let's now go to Second Chronicles and Chapter 36. Now let's take a look at verse 20. He deported those who escaped from the sword to Babylon, and they became servants to him and his sons until the rise of the Persian kingdom. This fulfilled the word of the Lord in Jeremiah, and the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the days of the desolation until the 70 years were fulfilled. Here's an interesting phrase here. And the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. What is he talking about? Well, when you go to Leviticus chapter 25, one of the things that you find out is that every seven years, they were supposed to let the land rest. And the Lord said he'd take care of them if they did that. Let's go to Leviticus 26, though. Let's go to verses 34 and 35. Well, let's let's go just a little before that. Um, Let's go to verse 27. And if in spite of this you do not obey me, but act with hostility toward me, I will act with furious hostility toward you. And I will also discipline you seven times for your sins. And you'll eat the flesh of your sons, you'll eat the flesh of your daughters, I will destroy your high places, cut down your shrines, and heap your lifeless bodies on the lifeless bodies of your idols. I will reject you. Boy, that's a promise you don't want to claim. And I will reduce your cities to ruins and devastate your sanctuaries. I will not smell the pleasing aroma of your sacrifices. I will devastate the land so that your enemies who come to live there shall be appalled by it. But I will scatter you among the nations, and I will draw a sword to chase after you, so your land will become desolate, and your cities will become ruins. Then the land will make up for its Sabbath years during the time it lies desolate. While you are in the land of your enemies, and at that time the land will rest and make up for its Sabbath, as long as it lies desolate, it will have the rest that it did not have during your Sabbaths when you lived there so in other words for 490 years they ignored the command of the Lord in this area so if you go back 490 years from 609 when they the first exile that brings you to 10 1030 something So almost after the time that David died, from that point on, they didn't obey the Lord. Well, now they had to pay for it with 70 years in exile in Babylon. And the land laid fallow. So now, there are 70 weeks of years of prophecy that these people have left to fulfill for these six things that we mentioned earlier to be taken care of. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of different views on these things. You know, i got a number of friends who are, they're Reformed Baptists, and I got people who are friends who are Presbyterians. And, you know, they take this sort of amillennialist view where basically, you know, they, it, it's all allegory. You know, it's all figurative. It's all metaphor. And all the stuff was taken care of in 70 A.D. And, you know, to those friends of mine, you know, I, I, I just have to say, you know, they're entitled to be wrong. Folks, you have to take this literally. There's just no. Look, as I showed you earlier, this this prophecy was to Daniel's people, and it was to his city. So let's take a look more in depth at what this has to say here. He says in verse 25, don't understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore or rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, the ruler will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times. Okay. There's a number of dates you can look at. Now, it was this very year that Darius the Mede, he allowed the people to go back to Israel. But that's not what was prophesied here. See, the decree was to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Well, really there's only one date that that could have happened. And that was 444 BC with Artaxerxes. And one of the things that happens is he tells, he tells Nehemiah, okay, go, go on back home and and rebuild. (coughs) Excuse me. Well, if you look at that, from 444, you go seven weeks, or 49 years, that takes you to 396. And that's how long it took them to finish rebuilding. So now... You got a sixty-two weeks a years or four hundred and thirty-four years. And by the way, the Jews they didn't they don't use the same calendar we do we do. They operate on a three hundred and sixty day year. So, if you follow this through, those 483 years from 444 B.C. takes you up to 33 A.D. April 33 A.D. Gee, what are you supposed to happen there? Anybody want to take a wild guess? Jesus Christ is crucified. Did you ever wonder why the Magi came at the birth of Jesus? See, the Magi were from Persia. Persia, the same people of Darius the Mede. They knew this prophecy. All they had to do was count 30 years or so back. And that's what signaled to them that he was coming. So they came to see the newborn king Because of this prophecy. So, verse 26. After those 62 weeks, the anointed one, which we also get the word Messiah from this, the Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. And the people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood. Until the end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. So, Jesus dies. Some say 30, some say 33 AD. Any way you want to cut it. This prophecy get, points you to the right year. And here's the thing, folks. Jerusalem and the temple have been destroyed once by the Babylonians. But what this scripture says is it's going to happen again. And it did in 70 AD when Titus Vespasian came in, surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed it. I mean, tore the temple to pieces. Verse 27. He, this ruler who is to come, will make a firm covenant with many for one week. Okay, so you had 483 of these years passed. So there's one week left. Seven years. He says, He'll make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, He will put a stop to the sacrifice and the offering. And the abomination of desolation will be on the wing of the temple until decreed des- uh, destruction is poured out on the desolator. Now, in 165 BCE, Antiochus Epiphanes came in. He made a seven-year pact with Israel, but in the middle of it, well, he uh, he just ignores the pact. And he comes in and he just, he kills, I think, 40,000 people the first day. He goes in to the temple, sacrifices a sow on the altar to Zeus Olympus. To Zeus Olympus. He desecrates the temple. And some people see that as the fulfillment of this prophecy. Well, I think it's really a forerunner. I think it's really a picture of what is to come. Because he doesn't do some of these other things. But the bottom line is this. Seven more years are to come. And they look to be difficult and painful for the followers of Jesus Christ. But you know what? We win. We win. Because we have him. Now folks, there's a lot we can make sense of here. There's still stuff we don't fully understand. But the bottom line is this. God has a plan for all of time. And if you belong to Him, He has a place for you in that. He wants you to be with Him. For the rest of the world, there's just wrath. If you don't know Him today, that's all you had to look forward to. The wrath of God. And the time of repentance, the time of salvation is now. Now. if you do know him there's a few questions you need to ask yourself are you following after him with your whole heart are you striving to love what he loves and hate what he hates are you trying to get in line with his plan with his program with his kingdom Or are you just trying to do your own thing? You know, you don't have to look too hard to find that there's, there's a lot of ministers. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people in ministry. There's a lot of people in a lot of places who claim the name of Christ. But they're just doing their own thing. They're trying to make their own kingdom. Trying to, they're just trying to do their own thing, go their own way. Folks, this is no game. We gotta get real with Him. We gotta do it today. We need to follow after Him with our whole hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness, for your loving kindness, for your patience, for the salvation that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we pray that you would be with each person here. We pray that, Lord, that you would help them to draw closer to you, to be the man, the woman that that you have called them to be. Help us, Lord, to glorify your name in all that we say and in all that we do. And, Lord, if there is someone here who does not know you, Lord, we pray that you would open their hearts, open their minds, that you would call them, that you would change them this very day. Lord, guide us. We sing in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.